No, 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 that's not it. That's not it. You're doing this on purpose, man. No, man, I'm just trying to get this ending right. Okay, it's simple. It just goes... I'm pretty sure that's what I was doing, man. Pretty sure it's not. Dude, why don't we just wait for Nate and Pat to get here? Nate and Pat? them. What do they know about drums? You and me, right? We're drummers. We speak the same language. Let's finish the track. Can't we just wait, dude? Chris Gowser here with Matt Howell. On this episode of the first one, Matt, what episode are we on? Six hundy, baby. Oh, breaking off another hundo, as the kids say. Six hundred down. Five more to go? I have absolutely no idea. <laughs> so on this episode, this big super duper anniversary episode that we're basically just going to, I guess, treat like a regular episode for the most part. Though we do have a, a lot of big, big guests, some big guests you're not going to believe who's going to show up by the end of this episode. Uh, but still, we're going to start everything off with a uh, little film called The Lost City, featuring Sandra Bullock and Channing Tatum, trying to revive the action-adventure rom-com. And then we'll discuss the Best Picture winner, Coda, on Apple TV. Apple TV, the first of the streamers to capture the elusive prize. We'll tell you what's coming up on Physical Media, featuring your streaming and straight-to-DVD picks of the week. We may do some general Oscar talk as well, uh, even though we didn't watch it. And then finally, we're going to wrap up our favorite films, our favorite 50 films ever, as Matt and I share our our big countdown, 10 through 1. This is it. Wrapping things up. Matt, I don't want to do any top fives for quite a while, I feel. We need like a break. <laughs> but uh, let's start everything off with a clip from The Lost City. Listen, Loretta, we need you to promote your new book on The Lost City. You can't spend your life in the bathtub drinking Chardonnay with eyes. Ladies and gentlemen, the world's sexiest cover model, Dash McMahon! You do know you're not Dash, right? Dash is a character I made up. Dash! Oh my god. Oh crap. Miss Sage, I enjoyed your book about the lost city, and I believe you're the one who can help me find its treasure. I have to respectfully decline. I'm afraid I must insist. Chain me! That's your seatbelt. Oh no! Loretta Sage is missing. I'm gonna rescue her. I just want her to think of me as more than a cover model. Let's start living dangerously. Alan, what are you doing here? We're here to save you. I'm certified CPR. I'm certified CrossFit. I have snacks. After them! All right, Matt Dash Howell. Why don't you tell the fine folks at home what is the Lost City all about on this super duper 600th episode of the first run? Everybody's favorite independent cinema podcast <laughs> um sure even if they don't know it yet right exactly uh, yeah so sandra bullock plays a um romance author who is kind of jaded with her work is tired of her career is struggling with a, a loss of a loved one and she's going on a book tour um with a her i guess cover model um stand-in for her hero uh, played by channing tatum she gets kidnapped because someone thinks that as a historian, because these are, by the way, these are historical romance novels, um, she actually has some 
inside uh, baseball on a lost artifact and a billionaire kidnaps her to go find it and dash goes to the rescue so let me ask you matt then we've had a dearth i think of these types of films for quite a while now this Mm -hmm. almost female adult oriented romantic action adventure film and what are your thoughts on the lost city is this a genre that definitely needs some reviving was this a good time did you enjoy this thing do we need another film a sequel to the lost city we want to see tatum and bullock and their air quotes chemistry yeah. <laughs> uh, back on the screen again. What are your thoughts on the big lost city? There's a lot of questions in there. I'll answer the first one in so far as, yeah, I think uh, I, th- I was entertained by it. I mean, it's not a bad film. It's not no. groundbreaking by any, by any measure, but it is a, you know, a fun, solid little action adventure rom-com film. Whether I feel like this is a genre that deserves to be, have another slew of entries and be like the next big thing. No. I mean, I don't think it was ever that big of a genre if I, if I'm not, mistaken i mean i can think of romancing the stone and the sequel to romancing the stone i <laughs> that's that's all i can really think of jewel of the nile yeah yeah jewel of the nile yeah i mean honestly this is kind of a, a strange film insofar as it feels when sandra bullock is on the is kind of front and center this feels like a sandra bullock a romantic comedy like it had think of the proposal with ryan reynolds right Mm-hmm. Um, but when Channing Tatum is kind of front and center and doing his Tatum thing, it feels like a 21 Jump Street riff on this on this genre. And I think if this movie is not successful, I think it's the kind of whiplash between those two tones, like where one feels very safe and kind of predictable, whereas the other one, while it also is predictable, at least it's kind of funny at the same time. I don't know. What do you think? That's interesting. So first, my note here is, and Matt it stepped on it, and this is my fault. This is what happens, kids, because you don't, we don't coordinate ahead of time because no. we want things to be as fresh and as original as possible here. So kids, gather around and let Uncle Chris tell you a story about a little movie called Romancing the Stone. Hmm. So it's 1984. Robert Zemeckis, he what, has delivered some absolute fantastic films, including at mm-hmm. least one perfect one. Mm-hmm. And... He, this is his big release, right? This is, he done what, used cars? He did 19, did he direct 1941? Or is he just involved in that? I thought that was Spiel, a Spielberg joint. Yeah, he Spielberg, wrote 1941. Yeah. And he releases his film, and it's a big, big success. Spawns a sequel, Jewel of the Nile, though he did not correct uh, direct that. Uh, Michael Douglas, Kathleen Turner, Danny DeVito captures the world, and everybody loves it. And it's th- that kind of thing. And this film, I don't want to say borrows but leans heavily on Romancing the Stone. It has a lot of the same beats, though it does do different things with it than than the original film did there. And I, I'm open to this kind of thing. I think mm-hmm. that this film is perfectly serviceable and enjoyable entertainment. And I'd be open to a, uh, a sequel, or at least a revitalization of this genre. I think it's one that's been dormant perhaps too long. This, as I said, female-focused romantic action adventure. I don't know why we don't see more of these, but... Romancing Stone was a big hit. It's a lot of fun. In fact, in anticipation of this episode, Matt, after walking out of the Lost City, that's all I could think about was Romancing the Stone. So I rewatched it. And it's mostly holds up. It's okay. still got some 80s cheese to it. And it's a little rickety. Um, but for the most <laughs> part, it's still kind of fun. Now, in regards to your assertions with the tonal differences, at least what Bullock is doing and what Tatum is doing, 
I think that's fair. I think Bullock is in fine form here. She does a she does a good job portraying this woman who's experienced this great loss, struggling to kind of get back to living her life, being on her own now. She's she's judgmental. She's caustic. She has some really biting comments for Tatum's character. And I want to say Tatum, I think is he's found his calling. He's in his wheelhouse. Mm-hmm. I think comedy based Tatum is the way to go. Now, maybe in 10 years or whatever, he'll have his John Wick moment. I don't know. Or maybe he'll do something more dramatic, like in Soderbergh's side effects, where he plays a much smaller role. I think he's quite good in that as well. But uh, this is where he needs to be, I think, is where he's his most engaging, is in these comedic roles. I didn't feel as much of a whiplash effect that you did between the two Mm -hmm. of them. Mm -hmm. I more had other challenges i think the repartee and all of that between the two of them mostly works i don't know if the romance angle does right and and i don't have a problem with the age discrepancy because she's older and he's not as old as she is you know they have about a 17 year 16 year 17 year difference yeah and we've seen the reverse of that for Mm. ever Mm-hmm. Right, like look at Entrapment with Sean Connery and Catherine Zeta Jones. I think it was a, sure. probably a forty-year gap. I think at that point in that one. <laughs> but um, it's that where the film doesn't quite work for me is is in the romantic angle gets boosted a bit. I think yeah. more the adventure stuff and the back and forth between them works really well. I think the qu- the quips are low level solid. I think you know, and there's some stuff too, like the motorcycle trap scene. Mm-hmm. that I think there's probably some riffing going in where they go kind of back and forth. Yeah. That's probably the most glaring of stuff where it doesn't, maybe does not quite work. Right. Well, but, or the entirety of Brad Pitt's performance. Well, you know what? I didn't really have any issues with Pitt. He's kind I of didn't have an it issue up. with it. I didn't have an issue with it at all. I quite enjoyed that, but I, it's telling that I enjoyed the chemistry that Tatum and, and Brad Pitt had more. I think they had better chemistry than Tatum and, and Bullock do. That's, that's probably accurate. That is probably. Did you stay through the post credit sequence? I didn't. No. He shows, I basically I only stay for comic book movies. That's the only one I assume. You got to start post credit sequence. You got to start researching ahead of time. He okay. Pitt's character survives. Oh, okay. Gotcha. He only loses ten percent of his brain. It says you know. So he just decided to use it a different ten percent. So that's why he's okay now. They meet. They're they're all meditating, and he's uh, giving him side eye for um, ignoring his directions and basically blaming. Tatum's character for him getting shot, but he somehow survived. So he does show up at the end of the film. Um, like I said, it's perfectly serviceable, and entertaining, not groan inducing, though not particularly inspiring. Right. Um, maybe the dropping of the ring in the tomb got an eye roll out of me. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking you got a volcano that's blowing up and you're going to take a couple, what, 10 Mississippi to have this big symbolic moment. I don't, I don't think so. And then finally, one of my favorite parts of this is probably Radcliffe. I think he is a blast to watch as our maniacal bad guy. Though I feel like we got a little bit of a Chekhov's little brother scenario here where he mm. talks about his brothers a couple times. I think to comedic, good comedic effect, but I felt like we should have gotten some cutscene or something right. showing right. that. I think that would have paid off a little more. But overall, it's okay. Yeah. Yeah, I think you've summed it up pretty succinctly. I mean, I think... Honestly, there's I pretty much enjoy everybody in this. I like Tatum, I like Bullock, I like Pitt, I like Radcliffe. I think it's just it's just one of those weird things where 
you kind of take all of this together and somehow the end product is less than the sum of its parts. Like it, it really should be better than it is, but it's just, it's just okay. Um, and it, maybe it would have been better if there wasn't the romance angle in it at all. Um, maybe that would have been, uh, more successful, but overall it's, it's a, it's an enjoyable little, uh, non comic book, non, uh, uh, sequel film. Well, I feel though that the target audience for this film probably is women from about mm-hmm. what 18, 19, 20 to about their mid fifties or so, okay. you know? And I think that, that she getting hook, hooking up and being with Tatum probably is an appeal factor to that. He is one of the better looking current actors. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to dock any points for, I guess for, the attempt to put that together, I just don't like to know if I say it, that it just inevitably it actually works at all, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. Um, for The Lost City, Matt, I'm giving it a C plus. Yeah, I'm going to give it a C plus as well. They should have brought back Ryan Reynolds for it. <laughs> if you're going to go any other guy, I guess he would be the one you go with, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, good times. If you had a chance to see The Lost City, shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Good old Channing Tatum. All right, Matt, coming up on Physical Media this upcoming Tuesday, April 5th. This film is still in the theaters right now. but um, And you can watch it digitally right now, too. But if you want to pick up your Blu-ray or 4K, uh, well, you can grab that Tuesday. Come on, Lenny, let's start. Ah, the bereaved. As one at every wedding party. The good Dr. Windlesham proposed to Miss Ridgway when she was still Miss Ridgway. He and the papers both had the deal as good as done. Then came the engorged stallion, and now it's Mrs. Doyle. If I were in his shoes, I'd only come here to put a bullet in the groom. Who well, our other guests? Lynette's godmother, who despises Lynette's wealth, and the godmother's nursemaid, Bowers, who covets it, as does Lynette's own maid, <laughs> poor old Louise. Oh, his cousin Andrew. He's a slippery fish. No one except Lynette trusts him. We find Mother and I are the only sane people here. <laughs> The only one who seems to like Lynette at all is her old schoolmate, Rosalie. She's Salome Otterborn's niece and arranged for her to come to play for them. You know, that reminds me of that old Mystery Science Theater gag. Exposition Theater! <laughs> but that is a clip from Kenneth Branagh's return and the mustache's return as Hercule Poirot, excuse me as I trip over that, in uh, Death of the Nile. Mm. That, uh, some people say it's worse, some people say it's better. I uh, I don't know. I'll probably check it out at some point, but you can pick it up. Includes a Dolby Atmos audio track on that 4K set and some behind the scenes making of featurettes focusing on the story and the book and how they connect it. The uh, setting, the costumes, um, a interview with Kenneth Branagh about portraying Poirot and seven deleted scenes. Matt, also coming up, the requel, Scream is getting its release. There is a Steelbook release as well as Walmart has an exclusive poster that has this retro look to it from like the 70s, 80s horror poster. It looks pretty cool. Includes filmmaker. Filmmaker? (laughs) I am a feelmaker because I make people feel things. Filmmaker commentary, including the directors, writers, and filmmakers. Uh, Bloodlines, catching up with the Scream stars, including interviews of Nev Campbell, Courtney Cox, and David Arquette. Some deleted scenes and more. You know, I was going back and forth on that. I, cause I think we enjoyed the Scream requel for the most yeah, part. It was, it was pretty good. But I'm like, at, and in my life now, and I'm staring down, like, I only have so much time left now. Mm. You know, it's like, I'm getting much choosier about stuff that I'm going to buy. And I just don't know right. if I'm ever going to rewatch that again. Oh, yeah. 
I'll never buy it. No, no. So, and what I did announce today, a little sidebar, you know, my affection for Frank Black, right? Yeah. So they put a bunch of his solo stuff out, Black Francis albums on vinyl. And today, finally, they announced the Frank Black and the Catholic set, all, oh. all of the albums in a box set. Wow. So I'm, I got only so much money to play with every month. Mm-hmm. And that's going to get eaten up by buying that box set. Absolutely. <laughs> Plus there's a uh, record store days next month. And I think there's two new yeah. Bowie releases coming out too. I got to pick up son of a bitch. Parallel mothers being released. Amadomar's film, a film I rather enjoyed. I think a little bit more than Matt, but he still liked it is uh, coming out on Blu-ray jockey featuring Clifton Collins an aging jockey aims for a final championship. When a rookie rider arrives claiming to be his son, could some deleted scenes shutter is releasing vicious fun. Joel, a caustic 1980s film critic for a national horror magazine, finds himself unwittingly trapped in a self-help group for serial killers. With no other choice, Joel attempts to blend in or risk becoming the next victim. Includes filmmaker commentary, some deleted and alternate takes, some blooper reel, and more. Well Go USA is releasing The Long Night, also known as The Coven. A devoted couple's quiet weekend takes a bizarre turn when a nightmarish cult and their maniacal leader comes to fulfill an apocalyptic prophecy. Includes an audio commentary by the director, Rich Ragsdale, and some behind-the-scenes featurettes, as well as a short film, The Loop. Lionsgate, who still does not include iTunes digital copies in their physical releases, <laughs> bothers me, is releasing Desperate Riders. Matt, I have my Bond 4K set digital copies. Mm-hmm. I have yet to redeem them because they're only applicable to Vudu. And I'm hoping at some point they will come around. Because I do not use Voodoo. I am not an animal. <laughs> I think you're a dinosaur. Does that count as an animal? They're reptiles, so I'm sure. Lionsgate is releasing Desperate Riders. Kansas Red rescues young Billy from... You know what? I'm not even going to read it. Screw you, Lionsgate. Scream Factory is releasing The Ice Demon. Kashusha barely remembers her father, Matt. He went missing when she was a child. Incredibly... He is showing signs of life despite being in a coma. The man has returned home in his condition. His wife is now remarried. The family is thrown into disarray by the return of the former master of the house. Terrifying things are happening in the house. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. New to Blu-ray, Soap Dish is being released from Paramount. I remember really liking Soap Dish. Did you ever see that one? Sally Field, Kevin Klein, Robert Downey Jr., Kathy Moriarty, Elizabeth Shue, Whoopi Goldberg. Kind of behind the scenes of a soap opera comedy. Very funny. Very funny. Richard Dreyfuss stars in Let It Ride. Jay Trotter has waited a lifetime for this day, Matt. He's got a hot tip on a horse. Everyone thinks he's ready for the glue factory. Includes a behind-the-scenes featurette. Arrow is releasing the eight-diagram pole fighter. The Yang family was a loyal, strong arm of the Imperial Army, Matt. But a jealous general betrays the elite spearmen and their father to the opposing Mongol army. After an ambush of a battle, only two of the seven sons survive. One remains hidden by the family while the other lives on the run. The treacherous general must find them and silence them before either of them can testify to the emperor of this treachery. Brand new 2K restoration of this film, including 2004 interviews, a short film commemorating the late actor that played before early screenings of The Eight Diagram Pole Fighter, a tribute to Fu Shang, alternate opening credits, and more. Kino Orber is releasing Armageddon. No, no, not that one. Featuring Elaine Delon. Gets a brand new audio commentary. They're also releasing The Indian Tomb. As well as The Body of My Enemy, which gets a new audio commentary. 2LDK, I, I don't know what that is, is being released by Unearthed. Kashusha barely remembers her father. What? Why is this the same write-up? God damn it, Blu-ray.com. 
on Earth is releasing 2LDK. I don't know what the uh, thing is because they replicated the write-ups. So way to go. Code Red is releasing The Violent Breed, which is an Italian film. Brand new 2K restoration of that one, Matt. Mike Martin is an ex-CIA agent who goes on a final mission to Thailand to expose a group of KGB infiltrators in the area. Cohen Media Group is releasing 1962's Jigsaw, featuring Jack Warner, Ronald Lewis, and Yolanda Donlin. Full Moon Features is releasing Prehysteria 2, the brand new restored from the original 35mm camera negative. And then, Matt, we're going to get a Jack Reacher Steelbook as one of your big 4K releases this week. I, I, I still don't get the Steelbook thing, but I also don't get the VHS craze, too, that some people are buying VHSs. I don't understand that as well. Also on UHD from Ronin Flicks, the original I Spit on Your Grave gets a brand new 4K HDR remaster. Uh, also includes the uh, Blu-ray and includes the 2019, um, I guess, documentary growing up with I Spit on Your Grave as well with some uh, deleted scenes, audio commentaries across the board. Have you ever seen the exploitation classic I Spit on Your Grave, Matt? I have, Yes. I was not, it was not an enjoyable experience. Not particularly. Not no. particularly. Yeah, good times. Your straight to DVD pick of the week is The Curse of Dracula. Two crooks looking to scam wealthy tourists organize a guided tour of an abandoned Slovenian manor house rumored to be haunted by not the Count Dracula, no, 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 his cousin. Their first group consists of a Swedish Satanist, French Goths, and a Russian porn director. The tour descends into bloody chaos as the tourists are slaughtered one by one by a mysterious phantom wielding a saw. It's a weird fake. Let's mm. go. <laughs> yeah. No, I'm not Dracula. I'm his cousin. And here's my saw. Matt, what should we be <laughs> streaming this week? So, um, came out today as the time of this recording is the latest of the Disney Plus Marvel series, uh, Moon Knight, which is... Uh, like Marvel Batman, but scarier. Um, it stars Oscar Isaac, has Ethan Hawke in it as well. I've caught up with the first episode, and it is quite good. I'm excited to see what else comes along from this show. I heard it wasn't that good. No, I, I rather enjoyed it. Interesting. I, yeah, I heard things are not great with that film, that with that show, which is too bad because I really like it. I'm going to watch it, so that's fine. Oh, I, uh, I bought Escape from L.A. in 4K. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. from um i think it was from paramount and finally there's an audio issue with it so i reshot to them today uh just do a google search for that folks if you bought that 4k escape from la disc i got a really good price on it so i pulled the trigger because i haven't watched it in 20 plus years but hopefully i'll get a new one we'll see how that goes all right matt let's spend a few minutes and talk about the uh oscars 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 i don't even know if i want to bother talking about the big event Will Smith? Yeah. What are your? Th uh, do you want to even discuss that at all? I mean, it's. I, 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 mean, I, I abhor violence or any kind of stuff like that. I think it's inappropriate in it, probably in most capacities. Yeah. I mean. I mean, honestly, it's it was stupid of Will Smith. I mean, I don't know what the hell he was thinking. You know, he's gonna get up on stage like in front of the hundreds of people in the auditorium, in front of the millions of people that are watching at home, and he's going to smack Chris Rock in the face. I don't know what the hell was going through his mind at that point. I mean, it's not like he even waited till he got backstage or to an after party or whatever. And like the whole blubbering, you know, justification speech he did was ridiculous. I mean, ultimately, if I blame anybody, I'm surprised that the Oscars, you know, 
let him stay in the building after assaulting a presenter. Um, That wasn't cool. They should have kicked him out. Um, But they didn't. And here we are. And, you know, it's not a good look for Will Smith. He, you know, just looks like a, uh, like a thin skinned uh, uh, baby man. That's, I guess that's the way it is. Let's table our Oscar, at least our best picture discussion until we just, until we're done with Coda. I think that's probably a more appropriate thing to do. So, all right, let's run with that then, and uh, let's play a clip from Coda. Remember the little dog, big dog exercise? Okay, little dog. Do it! Come on! Push, 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 push! Medium dog. Big dog. You're embarrassed? Really? Everyone! Little dog, big dog. Come on, and... Pants! Pants! Push. Medium dog! <laughs> Big dog! <laughs> Engage your core! Blow it out! Push, 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 push! Push, 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 push! Engage your core! Push, 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 push! More, more! Coda. So Amelia Jones plays a young woman. She is Coda's an acronym, actually. It's Child of Deaf Adults. And mm-hmm. her real passion in her life matters. She wants to be a singer, right? And she currently assists her family. They are fishermen. So they will, uh, her brother and her father, they do the boat, and she's the hearing person to help them uh, do all that stuff. But she still, she feels confined. She doesn't want to do this anymore. And she's trying to chase her dreams. That's basically roughly the background for Coda. Matt, it is, I don't know, it's kind of a nice little feel-good type film. Some people say it's this year's Green Book, and I will say to you, absolutely not. It yeah. is not Green Book bad. It isn't. And um, it's, my question for you about Coda is, because I think this is where I'm concerned that we're going to be in 10 years. Does this film reduce the hearing impairment to a, a plot device, or does it actually give its supporting cast true resonance? So I'm worried about it. at some point in the next 10 years or so, we'll look back on this film and say, telling this story from the perspective of the hearing person may not have been the best way to go if you're trying to kind of elevate this. Uh, um, I don't know, because part of the thing, it's, they're saying it's such a great film because it shows the true lives of people who are deaf and I think in a lot of ways it does a good job with that because it shows them as having lives relationships personalities independent of their impairment uh, you know it's not it's not it doesn't exactly feel to me like it's a plot device for me but what do you think hmm so I wasn't anticipating this question so I guess my question and response before I give you a final answer is who wrote this? Was the person who wrote this hearing impaired or were they the child of deaf adults and they're kind of building off their own personal experiences? 
So it's my understanding this is actually based on a French film. Okay. Uh, so it's a remake. Okay. And I don't believe so. So Sam Sian Hitter is the uh, writer and director of the film, and I have had no information that she has a hearing impairment whatsoever. So I'm gonna I'm gonna say no. Okay. But I don't know about the original. So let's look at La Famille Bial, which I know I'm I'm just absolutely nailing. <laughs> Written by one, two, three, four different people. So I don't know how well that's gonna go. Right. I don't see anything here in my quick little research that shows that they were. In fact, the two of the cast members who um maybe played deaf people in the French film were not indeed were not in fact deaf. Okay. Um Anyway, so I don't, I can't tell you. It looks like the answer is no. Okay. I mean, so the story in and of itself is not a new story, right? It's about a, you know, a girl who has a talent um, that is, you know, the type of thing that is not a sure thing. Um, it's something that could be a dream that you can chase off after and you can easily fail. And she's a member of a working class family and they want her to stay and do the family business, right? I mean, that's basically what the plot of this thing is. Um, and that's a story that's been told, you know, dozens of times to varying effect, right? Mm-hmm. What makes this different is obviously the fact that these people are deaf and they bring on a certain kind of, you know, additional wrinkle to this. And obviously, you know, the principal actors in this are actually deaf, right? So honestly, it's kind of one of these things where it seems weird for me as someone outside of that community and not having any kind of skin in that game. I'm, I don't know any deaf people. I don't have any, any hearing impaired people in my family that, you know, it seems weird for me to kind of make that judgment on them when the people that are in the film are actually a part of that community. And if they yeah. were okay with doing it, then I think I'm okay with it existing. Now, if it was a different discussion where it was just people who spoke American Sign Language, but they were hearing people that were playing deaf people, I think that's – then you have a, a case to make that that discussion. But those three people, they are – you know, they are members of that community and if they were fine with it enough to be in this film and they haven't said anything bad about it or about their experience, then who am I to say that it's a bad thing? Yeah, I think that's 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 a good way to go about it, man. I think that the representation itself is quite well done. I will say too, I think their coda is at times very, very funny. Mm-hmm. Uh, particularly in the first probably 15, 20 minutes or so. But um, still, it is pretty consistently funny and engaging in dramatic and heartwarming. I think the relationship between her and her family and her potential beau are all engaging. I think it mostly works that way. At least the interpersonal relationships amongst everybody, I think is fine. I do feel it's a film I've seen a thousand times. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's we've lifted wholesale from one film and dropped it into the chassis of a deaf family. It's like the Pontiac of movies, right? That was always horrific in Pontiac cars is that they were basically built from the leftover parts of other cars that were there. That have been made. And that's what it is. I feel like we've taken this genre, this type of film, and we've just dressed it up. Now, this time, though, it features a deaf family at its core, and we are off the assembly line and out into the theaters. I think that's really the complaint I have with it. It also, at times, I think feels slight. I don't think the impact of her that she eventually 
obtains her current goals has the same emotional impact that I think maybe they're going for. I will say that Amelia Jones's voice is beautiful. And I think her rendition of both sides now is very emotionally affecting. I think it actually moved me a couple times when they when she sang it. And but still, overall, I found it to just as I said, what it's um, it's it's just a uh, it's the same it's the same thing we've seen with with a new coat, the new coat of paint, basically. You know, that's kind of how I feel about Coda. Yeah, so I mean, I guess this becomes the interesting, the interesting uh, question, right? So this thing won Best Picture. Um, I enjoyed myself with this film. I enjoyed watching mm-hmm. it. I've, but it's not a challenging film, right? And what's more important, a film that you enjoy watching, that you're entertained by, or something that is challenging? which we will talk about in some of these other films that were nominees, but I can't say I can ever see myself revisiting. Right. Um, they were experiences, but I can't say I enjoyed them. Now I don't know if I'll ever say, you know, um, Coda. I don't know if I'll ever come back to Coda, but I will say that if somebody said, Hey, how is Coda? Would I like it? I would say, yeah, you probably will like it. I, cause I think it's a film for everybody. Right. And it's, it, it's well done and it's, you know, an enjoyable film. If somebody said, Hey, should I watch the power of the dog or nightmare alley? I'm going to be like, mm, well, yeah, I don't know about you kind of thing. I mean, it's got its moments and it's, you got to be prepared for that kind of thing. And I don't know what the right answer for that is. I can't really fault it. I'm not, I'll be honest with you. This is not like a Pulp Fiction Forrest Gump year where like everything else was like there was something that was so head and shoulders above like what did ultimately win. I think Mm -hmm. everything here, at least for me, I wasn't really super impressed with really any of it. Um, So it's just kind of one of those blah years. And the fact that a blah film or an unchallenging film one seems to fit. I think that I I chalk up Coda's win because I think it is probably well we're going to talk about our rankings but it's probably this near the bottom of the 10 for me. Okay, interesting. That, that uh I chalk that win up to just the current state of affairs in this country and this planet. I think that all some of the films on this list are either too heavy, there's too much depth they're too nihilistic and mm-hmm. stuff like, you know, Nightmare Alley. Um, some of them may be too trite. I don't know. But I feel like out of all the films that were nominated for Best Picture, I think this is the one that is the most engaging and uplifting, probably, and also the slightest and breeziest out of the group. And I think that that may have colored people's selections after watching something. You, I mean, you watch Power of the Dog. Which was my favorite film of the year, but man, that is a dour experience. You know, you're not mm-hmm. walking out of that one feeling great about things. I think things are so bad right now that I, if I had bet, I should have selected Coda because I, I just, I really think that that's maybe where people ended up was because of all that stuff that's going on internationally, globally, whatever. It's just a real tough time these last couple of years, and Coda is a release while some of the other ones perhaps aren't. So, I don't know. It's enjoyable. I I liked it, Matt, but it's just so yeah. slight. There's it's so 
confectionery well, sugar at times. Well, let's let's grade it and then let's talk about the other ones because I do want to talk about Power of the Dog. I think you're going to be surprised where I end up on that list with that film. But let's rate this and then we'll move on to that discussion. All right. So I got Coda with a B minus. Uh, I gave it a, a B plus. Okay. So Coda is currently available to stream on Apple TV Plus. So let's take a minute then, Matt, and uh, talk about the Oscars. Were you able to compile how you did while we were talking? Um, I, I let's go through it one at a time here to see how we did. Okay. Um, I th- I think uh, again with like no research, no, we just kind of ran. I just went gut. through and picked stuff. Yep. Yeah. In some things, I didn't even know what they were, so I just picked one. So hopefully I was lucky. So actor in a leading role, Will Smith, obviously. I picked that. I think you picked that as well. So yep. we both win there. Um, best picture was uh, Coda, um, which so I po- picked Coda. You did not. Um, you picked The Power of the Dog. Um, actor in a supporting role, Troy Coster from Coda is what I picked. I believe you picked that as well. Yep. Best actress was Jessica Chastain in the eyes of Tammy Faye. That's what I picked. I believe you picked it as well. Yep. Actress in a supporting role, Ariana DeBose in West Side Story is who yep. I picked. And Same. I think you did as well. All right. Let's see. Supporting actor, supporting. I don't like the way that they order some of these. Animated feature film in Kanto, which I think was a layup, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we both got that. Cinematography. I picked Dune. Yep. It was Dune. It was Dune. Okay. Did you pick Dune as well? I did directing Jane Campion for the power of the dog is what I picked. And that's what ultimately won. Yep. Same next up documentary feature summer of soul, Mm -hmm. which won, but that's what I picked. Same. Although I will die on the hill that I think flea should have won. Yeah. Documentary short subject. uh, I guessed and said when we were bullies, I don't know if that actually was true or not. Uh, The queen of basketball is what won. Yep. That's what I had. Okay, so now we each have, have missed one out of so okay. far. Film editing, I put Dune. There we go. I had Dune as well. Dune is the one that won. Yep. Uh, international feature, Drive My Car and Drive My Car won. Though uh, I still contest that the worst person in the world should have won that. But go I, I completely agree with you on that. I think that is the correct answer. Makeup and hairstyling. Eyes of Tammy Faye won that, and that's what I picked. Yeah, me too. Okay, uh, original score, uh, Dune, um, and I, I picked Dune. No, I choose Encanto, so I got that wrong. I still don't understand it. Dune, I just did not care for that score as much at all. So that's two for me. Mm-hmm. Original song, No Time Did I Won, and that's what I picked. I did not. Uh, I selected the Encanto one again, so I'm. that's three. Uh, which, by the way, I don't I don't understand what the big deal with Encanto is because the songs in that are not good. Um, best production design was Dune. Um, that's what I picked. I I'm chose sure. The Tragedy of Macbeth. Okay. So I got four. that one wrong. That's four. Animated short film was The Windshield Wiper is what won. I picked Robin Robin. As did I. Okay. Uh, so that's that's two for me. Five for me. <laughs> um, live action short film. The Long Goodbye, which I got. Did I get that? Uh, yes, I did. Okay. Uh, sound. Best sound. I selected Dune on that one. So did I. Yep, Dune won. Uh, visual effects, I picked Dune. Dune won. So did I. Okay. Adapted print screenplay, I picked Coda, and I believe Coda won as well. Yep, I got that one wrong. Power of the Dog for me. 
Okay, and then best original screenplay, Belfast won, and I picked Belfast. Yep, I got that one wrong too. A worst person in the world. So I got housed. I got seven wrong out of twenty-three. All right. I got two wrong. Nicely done. So adapted screenplay. That's just stupid. I don't. I don't. <laughs> that's part of it too that bothers me. Like, there's no way that Coda should have won that. None. And then a, a, original screenplay too. Worst person in the world was hands down better than oh, yeah. any other of those nominees. Eyes yeah. closed, just better. And it just yeah. blows my mind. It really bothers me. Yeah. So, just crap. I'm glad I didn't watch. You know what I did this year, Matt? I watched Malignant. That's what I did. <laughs> yeah, there you go. And I, I am, remember what I did. I am much happier that I watched Malignant instead. So, there you go. There you go. There you go. Um, so what are the rankings here? That is, you know, a, I will say this though about the, I haven't read, I, is, if, the, if the power of the dog is a book, I don't know how good the adaption is because I didn't read the book. So maybe that's what they were criticizing about. I have no idea. All right, Matt. So the rankings, so clearly I'm closing it out, right? My number 10, well, of course we mm-hmm. didn't need to have 10 this year. We could have probably gotten away with five this year. Right. Easily. Right. Yep. So, um, my number 10 is going to be, don't look up that Matei just, abortion of a film i just <laughs> i don't know if it was a, a, that bad but it was not good and what about you what'd you have for nine um nine i had west side story not my thing just uh yeah it was okay for what it was wow okay so for me nine was uh king richard oh shit i left king richard off okay so uh then yes i will put king richard as my number nine okay i, I skipped one yeah sorry all right, so that means then eight is for you as West Side Story? Yes. So I'd probably go Coda for eight for me. Okay. So then seven? Um, I'm going to say Drive My Car. Not really? a film I connected with very well. Wow. Seven for me is Licorice Pizza then. Okay. So six for me would be Belfast. Uh, Yeah, six, six for me was also Belfast. So your fifth favorite of the listing there? Licorice Pizza. I would go West Side Story at that point. Okay. So then my number four, which would probably upset Matt, would be Dune. Mm. It's okay. I understand. Your four? Uh, it's Coda. All right. Your three? <laughs> Nightmare Alley. All right. So me, this is where Drive My Car comes into play. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for two, my two then would be Nightmare Alley. Okay. Mine would be Power of the Dog. And my number one is Power of the Dog. So then your one is Dune. Yes, yes, because it's the only one that I can see myself watching on the reg, you know? And I would slot in, again, likely the worst person in the world in that two or three slot if it was an option for me. Yeah, me too. Yeah, definitely. It's still upsetting that it didn't, yeah, man, just a bad year. So again, re- to recount my I, my rank was from the bottom up, Don't Look Up, King Richard, Coda, Licorice Pizza, Belfast, West Side Story, Dune, Drive My Car, Nightmare Alley, and then Power of the Dog. And yours? Don't look up King Richard, West Side Story, Drive My Car, Belfast, Licorice Pizza, Coda, Nightmare Alley, The Power of the Dog, and Doom. There you go, Matt. All right. Well, Let's you, talk about 10 movies we really love. Yeah, right. If <laughs> <laughs> you gotten enough of lists? It's going to be a nightmare to edit. Looking forward to it. Good times. Let's spend a few minutes then and count them down, Matt. 10 through 1 are 50 favorite films. Poor old cat. Poor slob. Poor 
a slob without a name. Well, I look at it, I don't have the right to give him one. We don't belong to each other. We just took up by the river one day. I don't even want to own anything until I can find a place where new things go together. I'm not sure where that is, but I know what it's like. It's like Tiffany's. Tiffany's? You mean the jewelry store? That's right. I'm crazy about Tiffany's. Listen. You know those days when you get the mean reds? The mean reds? You mean like the blues? No. The blues are because you're getting fat or maybe it's been raining too long. You're just sad, that's all. The mean reds are horrible. Suddenly you're afraid and you don't know what you're afraid of. Did you ever get that feeling? Sure. But when I get it, the only thing that does any good is to jump into a cab and go to Tiffany's. Calms me down right away. The quietness and the proud look of it. Nothing very bad could happen to you there. If I could find a real life place that made me feel like Tiffany's, then... Then I'd buy some furniture and give the cat a name. So, of course, that is a clip from Breakfast at Tiffany's featuring Audrey Hepburn, George Papard. Fantastic score by Henry Mancini, directed by Blake Edwards, with a just really truly unfortunate appearance by Mickey Rooney. <laughs> But still, a uh, wonderful, wonderful little film. Didn't quite make the cut for me, Matt. So I'll go first. I'll give you the ultimate number one because I'm wow. a gentleman. You know, enjoy it while it lasts. <laughs> my number 10 then, you mentioned it last week. And uh, this was my first film I viewed by this director. And it was one of those opportunities to one of those films that we talk about every now and then where it kind of changes how you see cinema. And this was the case for me. Of course, I'm talking about Kurosawa's Rashomon. Uh, it was the first Kurosawa film I'd ever seen and started my love, not just for Kurosawa, but for international cinema in general. The uh, story told by the three different perspectives to find out what actually happened as this bandit comes across this nobleman and his wife. And it is just riveting, a riveting experience with top-notch work by Mifune and others. And uh, it's just a marvel to behold. So, um, yeah, Rashomon is my number 10. You can listen to Matt's thoughts on it last week, though. Okay. <laughs> my number 10, then, is one of my favorite comedies. We've been oddly talking, or at least I've been oddly talking about it several times over the past few weeks. Mm -hmm. um, but it's uh, the great mockumentary of This is Spinal Tap, one of my favorite comedies of all time. Did you say that last week? Or no. where did it come? It came up in some capacity from you last week. Yeah, it's it not. It may have come up. It's come up several times, but I did not put it on this list yet. I could have. All right. Go ahead. <laughs> I'm going to ask you too at the end. I want you to forward me the list because I want to eventually post the list on the site. But gotcha. go ahead. So, okay. Spinal Tap. Yeah, it's just a, a classic uh, a mockumentary about a rock and roll band who was at their peak of 80s hair metal glory and just the kind of put upon you know life that they leave now that is as they're kind of waning in popularity um it's just a spot on you know critique of the music industry and it's hilarious watching them kind of progress through different styles um through their entire career it's 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 a blast all right man i could have sworn all right we'll find out so then my number nine then i just started rewatching this last night because i was thinking about it because of this list and I have a Blu-ray copy, wink, wink, <laughs> of this film that was only released, I think, 
physically in I think in Japan. Um, it is a I believe it's a fan edit is what I was watching last night, which I love. And of course, I'm talking about Kill Bill. Um, my favorite Tarantino film, The Story of the Bride. If you make me force to be choose between the two, I'm going part two. Mm. But still, I always watch it kind of cohesively as a whole. I have not watched this Blu-ray that I got. I think I got it like mid last year. Okay. And uh, I haven't watched it yet. So I popped it on last night. And I just love this thing so much, Matt. How Tarantino melds that classic kind of Shaw Brothers martial arts with this Western kind of motif, and it's mm-hmm. the revenge film as well. And I think it also probably has my favorite musical drops out of mm-hmm. needle drops out of anything he's done. Mm-hmm. Not just the pop songs, but the the Morricone stuff, Riz's stuff that he wrote for the film as well. Uh, just it's fantastic, and yeah, it's my number nine, The Kill Bills. So my number nine is a film that we have called a perfect film. And Chris had it on his list, but it was somewhere down in the bottom 25, which is insane to me for something that you would dare call a perfect film, which it is. Um, And that's uh, Steven Spielberg's Jaws. It is the absolute, it is the quintessential suburb blockbuster. It is the kind of poster child for less is more. And everything about it, it even... To this day, it is still scary. It is still effective. The performances are still great, and it's still gorgeous to look at. Yet somehow, it's a bottom twenty-five film for Chris. Yet a perfect film. Yeah, absolutely. It's uh, forty-two. Back to the Future is on my list. That's a perfect film as well. That's not in the top ten. So I don't know what the hell your problem is, pal. Insane. Here we go. Now it gets into layup time. <laughs> Number eight. I recently just purchased it. It's not going to be here for another month or so. And it's 4K limited edition set. I, of course, I'm talking about Nicholas Winding Refn's Drive featuring Ryan Reynolds as the stunt driver slash wheel wait, wait, man. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, did what? you just say Ryan Reynolds? You did, did I? <laughs> yes, you oh. did. <laughs> that is embarrassing. I got Ryan Reynolds on the brain because of um, what you said earlier before. So yeah. uh, about him and um, the Lost City. So you'll have to forgive me. Why couldn't it be him instead? Do you think? I wonder how Drive would be if it featured uh, Ryan Reynolds instead. Uh, I think it would be a very, a, a very different film to the point where I don't know if it would even be on your list. <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> Ryan Gosling stars as the driver. It doesn't really have a name in the film mm-hmm. either. So he, in his apartment building, this young woman moves in with her son, and her her estranged partner is in jail. He gets out, but he owes money to the wrong people. And uh, Ryan Gosling's character offers to help him out and things go horribly, horribly awry. This modern neo-noir, neon-based L.A. film, it's just chef's kiss, perfect. A fantastic score as well. One of my favorites by uh, Cliff Martinez, Matt. I cannot come up with a complaint for Drive. Carrie Mulligan is fantastic. Oscar Isaacs, before he blew up. Mm-hmm. Um, is in this as well. Albert Brooks plays a more dramatic, darker turn in this. Um, Brian Cranston, Christina Hendricks. If you like noir films, if you like your violence down and dirty, Drive is for you, my number eight, featuring Ryan Reynolds. All right. All right, so my number eight then is um, my second go at comedy, probably my favorite comedy of all time. When I saw this, when I, my dad brought this home from the library, the Simsbury Public Library, for me and my friend when we were like eight or nine years old, um, we started to watch it 
And we thought it was the funniest damn thing we had ever seen in our entire lives. And it is still funny. It is ludicrous. It is, it is stupid, but it is fantastic all the same. I'm talking about Monty Python and the Holy Grail. Mm. It is, I think, the kind of pinnacle of British silly humor wrapped up in this trappings of King Arthur and his Knights of the Round Table and um, it's chef kiss vignettes one after laugh after laugh after laugh. It is, it is fantastic. Yeah. I can't remember where I first watched that. I watched that with my dad too. And uh, I cried. I laughed so hard. So that is mm-hmm. a exceptionally strong pick. I haven't watched a thing in 20 plus years. Jesus. All right. So my number seven, Matt is one of my feel good films. Okay. So you wouldn't know it listening to me, but my life has never has not always been peaches and cream, mm-hmm. right? I've had some down times in my life. Everybody has, and there are certain films, certain media, whatever the case may be, that you turn to whenever you kind of get in that mode. So whenever I'm kind of depressed or if I'm dealing with something, this is the movie I inevitably put on, and that is Richard Donner's 1978 Superman film, Superman the movie. Featuring Christopher Reeve, Gene Hackman. I feel like I want to do a podcast just on Gene Hackman films at some point. Brando, Kidder, You'll Believe a Man Could Fly. One of the first, one of the few movies I can watch this day, and it's still Matt, makes me feel like a kid again. That there is hope, that the future can be bright. Um, sure, that final act has got its problems, but um, still, Superman the movie is my number seven. All right, so my number seven. Is not a feel-good film. It is a bit of a downer. Yet somehow, at the same time, it does kind of give you hope. And it's a film that I talked Chris into watching for this. It's not really his kind of wheelhouse. But I think we were both kind of blown away by how much, how good it is. It's, uh, it's Such a Beautiful Day by, um, Don mm-hmm. Hertzfeld, a animator known for a very simplistic stick figure style about a man who is, losing his mental faculties and at first it's kind of played for kind of giggles and laughs and then it kind of you know it gets deeper and deeper and deeper and you realize it's about a story about a man who's like struggling with some serious illness that's kind of slowly um killing him and and taking him away from those who he loves um it is i i wouldn't think that a a hour and 15 minute film about uh, starring stick figures would be as powerful and as poignant as it is. Um, but it is a gut punch, but at the same time it, it is uplifting. And I think it's, it's absolutely beautiful about what you can accomplish just with the power of storytelling. That is fantastic. I'm not, is it available to stream anywhere? I know it was on criterion for a bit. It may be yeah. on um, one of the YouTube competitors. What's that? One? I don't know. I don't think it is. And like, it was on Netflix for a while and some of his other ones were on Netflix for a while. And then I think now I think it's, you can only buy it from his website and he doesn't have it available very often. Hmm. That's too bad. That's yeah. a great pick, man. I totally forgot about it. I just popped it into my honorable mention. So thank you for that. My number six, then God, it's so lazy. I'm such a cliche. <laughs> it's going to be the empire strikes back from uh, star Wars. The, uh, the downer one, man. Mm-hmm. everything seems to be going horribly for our little rebellion this time out, right? Han frozen in carbonite. Luke loses his hand. Uh, just crazy, crazy stuff. But for me at the time in my life, just a 
peak adventure. Uh, I absolutely adore The Empire Strikes Back. Out of all the films, it's the one I revisit the most. Though I feel like I have this weird thing. I need to watch Return of the Jedi. I haven't watched that in a very long time. And uh, But still, it's a classic film. It's The Empire Strikes Back. It's my number six. All right. All right, well, my number six has already been mentioned today. It is also my favorite Tarantino film, and I, of course, talking about Kill Bill. Much like Lord of the Rings, I cheat, and I consider them a single unit. You mm-hmm. have to kind of watch them together. I will say I think the second one is the better film, but I think the first part of it is more fun, um, just because it's batshit. Yeah. But I, like Chris said, I love that it is just a loving pastiche and homage of someone who understands the language of these films that i love like martial arts films westerns um you know crime uh films revenge uh, thrillers yeah. yeah everything it's just got everything i could ever want in a film and it is so good it is so f- good to look at the performances are so much fun um yeah i don't think he i think that's gonna be he he may have said that Inglorious Bastards was his masterpiece, but he's wrong. It's this one. Yeah. I was watching last night that scene between the bride and Gogo. It is mm-hmm. so great. And the good thing, too, about my, the, um, what is it, the whole body affair cut, Matt, mm-hmm. is that that black and white scene at the uh, the house of the, oh, what's it called now? I keep blanking on the name of it. But the big fight against the Crazy 88s right. is in color. Yeah, It's okay. not black and white. So you get to see the, all the carnage. It is. Quite the experience. All right. My number five, then. I'm going to bother some people with this, but I've always kind of felt that this franchise has been... I've enjoyed this franchise more than I have enjoyed the Star Wars films. Okay. And this is the pinnacle of this Mm -hmm. franchise. 20 plus films, I think we're at this point, if not more. Mm -hmm. But nothing has touched, as Matt calls it, Horatio Hornblower in space. Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. Shatner at the peak of his powers... Ricardo Montalban, the whole cast back. One of the most heartbreaking moments in the franchise, though, of course, Spock does pop up a film later. But still, The Wrath of Khan, one of my all-time favorites. I've told the story many times. I'd sit in my dad's recliner, put on the soundtrack record, and reenact the scenes all by myself. I've probably, this and The Evil Dead, I've owned on the most platforms, the most, um, I've had it on VHS, I've had it on DVD, I've had it on Blu-ray, and um, now I'm waiting to get the single release for this for the 4K. So mm-hmm. there you go. There you Star go. Trek 2. All right. So my number five, I think, is the ultimate sci-fi action film. It is, I'm going to say this a lot for the next four entries. This entry plus the next four. This is, folks, a perfect film. As good as Alien is, James Cameron's Aliens is the absolute pinnacle of that series. It is... Um, it's what he's able to pull off somehow take a film that is so good in alien and somehow just make it even better and more fun is, is just a, a crowning achievement. And I, you know, watching this for Chris's other show screen run, um, you found out how much of a bastard uh, James Cameron really kind of is. Um, but at the same time, man, he can, he can pull out some great performances uh, from this and, if you haven't seen it, why are you li- listening to this show? Go out and watch it. Yeah, it's a lot of fun. So my number four, then, is one of two remaining horror films, Matt, mm. on my list. Okay. From 1980. A film, it's still terrifying to this day, but it's so intricate. And the overwhelming sense of dread you have while watching this thing starts as soon as the film opens. 
as the camera pans and follows this car through this mountainside and Wendy Carlos's score hits and it is just so unsettling. You're uneasy from the very beginning and how Stanley Kubrick shoots Matt The Shining mm-hmm. through the hotel, how the corridors and the buildings, they don't make sense. Things don't line up. You're constantly uncomfortable. You never quite understand what's going on. And then Jack Nicholson's character loses it. And he finally snaps. Perhaps he's possessed. It all depends on your interpretation of the film. But um, few experiences, I think, are more perfectly assembled than Kubrick's The Shining. And it is... I don't watch it that often. I probably watch it once a year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still watch it annually. But it is just it is just an experience. It's like the best way I can describe it to you. So um, The Shining's my four. Well, my number four, I think, is is going to steal the lead, uh, the thunder from Chris's other selection of, mm-hmm. of horror movies that are left. Honestly, if you've listened to this show at all, you know... You haven't heard this come up yet, and um, well, here it is. The first time it's appearing is John Carpenter's uh, The Thing, uh, a remake of The Thing from Another World. It is a crowning achievement in paranoia, um, isolation, and just sweet, sweet practical effects that somehow are still as good today as the way they, they, they came out. It is, it is a film that I fall in love with more every time I, I watch it, and I still look at the intricacies of everything that he's got in there that uh, there's always something new to discover as you're watching it. That's exactly right. The Thing is my number three. Mm-hmm. Uh, my favorite horror film, obviously. And it is, as you said, Matt, the paranoia. You never know who to trust. You don't know who's been infected or been replaced, whatever, how you want to put it. And it is a terrifying film, but it's built on the strength of its practical effects that are just... I still, you look at it today, you're like, man, how did they pull that off back then? It's incredible how it looks. And it is Carpenter's best work. It is. Hands down, it's his masterpiece. I still, when I watch that thing, I'm just amazed by how well that thing came together. So, yeah, no, the thing's my number three. I agree with you. All right. My number three, then, is one of the franchises that I fell in love with super long ago as a child. Um, and this is the first time I saw that. You know what? Hey, the bad guys won in this one. Uh, Of course, that's the Empire Strikes Back. I think the pinnacle of Star Wars, it hasn't gotten, it hasn't been better. And then they haven't been able to kind of top it. Um, A downer of an ending, the kind of uh, second act of a Greek tragedy where everything kind of falls apart. And, you know, uh, I think probably one of the greatest twists in film. I mean, obviously it's a cliche now and everybody knows that, uh, spoiler, Darth Vader is Luke's father. But at the time, that was a masterwork of revelation pre-internet where it came out of nowhere for people. And, uh, man, Empire Strikes Back is so good. It is still by far the best Star Wars film. It is great watching it with people who don't know. It's so hard to find them, but when that moment hits, it still works to this day. Mm -hmm. I watched it with, I think it was with my wife a few years ago. I was watching them all again, and she just, it had left her mind, or she was never that deeply involved at all, and she she turned to me. She was like, what? (laughs) And it was was great. So, yeah, there you go. So, my number two then, man, we're so close. My number two is Raiders of the Lost Ark, a... uh, 
again, we use that term, a perfect film. I wonder, I think I may be blowing up Matt's spot on this one. <laughs> but uh, Steven Spielberg, George Lucas combined for this modern telling of the classic serials. Harrison Ford, I think it's fair to say never been better. I know there are the Han Solo fans out there. But his Indiana Jones character, I think, is just so much more interesting and entertaining and fun to watch. And you, you set up Harrison Ford up against the Nazis. And I don't think you really can't go wrong. Throwing some supernatural stuff as my dog wakes up and some snakes and a bunch of other stuff. I mean, it's it was one of the pinnacle moments of my childhood was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, a film that I adore to this day. So that's my number two. Hey, guess what? It's my number two as well. Okay. I don't know what else to add to to what Chris had to say. I mean, it is it is an absolute masterclass of pacing, of action and humor, and just kind of like you connect with Indiana Jones. You want to like hang out and have be- a beer with Indiana Jones or go on a trip with him as long as you're guaranteed to come back because nobody else <laughs> ever seems to. Um, and I don't know. There's just something about it that just kind of talks to your, speaks to your kind of inner child. And I always feel like a kid again watching it. It's always so exciting and it's so much fun and it's infinitely watchable. So it had to be my number two. It's funny too when you watch somebody who clearly is just horrible at his job, but <laughs> it keeps screwing up and finding ways to kind of stick around. But yeah, I mm-hmm. know. All right. So my number one then, it's an old film, it's a classic film. And it's one of the most romantic things I've ever seen. It's Michael Curtiz's Casablanca. Humphrey Bogart, Igram Bergman, Paul Henry, Claude Rains, Peter Lorre. And to this day, it's a film that makes me weepy whenever I watch it. I've seen this thing a hundred times. I I adore it. And um, it's just, if you haven't seen Casablanca, if it's one of those things, folks, that it feels like homework to you, because, oh, it's a classic film, everybody, trust me, watch it. It works. It holds up. It pulls at your heartstrings. There's adventure. There's thrills, and Bogart doing Bogart at the top, at the height of his power. It's just it's it's really entertaining and heartwarming and sweet and sad, and it's just quite an experience. So Casablanca is my favorite film. All right, that is a good film. Um, I don't think Chris would guess. I could I could guess Chris's film. I knew it was going to be Casablanca. I was ninety nine percent sure. Yeah. I don't think he can guess this film. This film for me was is a relatively recent film. It's only came out about came out in 2007, I believe, by a brother pair of filmmakers who are um one of my favorites and all of all of their films for some reason this one speaks to me and that is the adaption of Cormac McCarthy's No Country for Old Men um where James Brolin um plays a um kind of Hunter, who stumbles upon the aftermath of a drug deal gone wrong, decides to that he's going to take the money um, that he finds and the cartels or whoever's money it belongs to sends uh, a force of nature in the form of Javier Bartram's uh, Anton Chigur um, to go hunt him down. The violence of it, the kind of beauty of the cinematography and just the the this dreamlike quality that's just makes it seem not quite real just all adds up to, I think just my favorite film. I, I I absolutely love it. I watch it probably a couple times a year, man. I haven't mean to rewatch that. It's been a very long time since I've watched that thing. And I do love it too. It isn't in my honorable mentions. My one thing I love about that film too, is how the on-screen violence decreases as the film progresses. Mm Mm-hmm. which I think is really interesting. So where do you get to the end? You don't even see the last 
you know, the last killing or whatever the case would be. So number one, I wouldn't anticipate it would be the top of your list. Yeah. I mean, as I was kind of going through this list, I it just kept coming back to that point and I, I just had to go with my gut, you know? Well, hey, it's your list, brother. Good for you. Mm-hmm. I appreciate that. That's awesome. So when you get a chance, ship it over to me. I'm going to post them on the website, but not for a while. I want people okay. to be able to listen. Maybe in a month or so, I'll okay. I'll post them. And then, too, if you have any honorable mentions, I'll confess, Matt, my honorable mentions list is 81 films deep. that didn't make the cut. <laughs> so I'm going to put that out there at some point as well. Still, good times. Folks, I hope you enjoyed this journey as Matt and I shared our 50 favorite films. And who knows, maybe we'll revisit it again in the future. Because like I said, mine will change. Mm-hmm. It, things will move from time to time. Uh, what are your favorites? What are your 10 favorite films? Shoot us an email at feedback at thefirstrun.com. Matt, coming up next week, supposedly this film actually exists. Is what I keep hearing. But it looks like we're going to do Morbius. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I think we have to. And I, I'm just glad that I don't have to see that damn trailer anymore. Right. And we're still stalking everything with everything everywhere all at once. Mm. Um, still not out. I was able to see it push another week out, and it's still not out at the AMC. But that could that could change. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are some other stuff coming up. But so it's going to be next week. We're definitely going to be doing Morbius. And your second film, don't know because we had Morbius as the second film next week. So. Mm. I'm we'll have to figure that out. I know you and I talked about doing Coda. Maybe yeah. we throw that in there. Um, the um, Godfather Coda, not yeah, the, uh, fun, yeah. the other Coda Coda. <laughs> but also there is a Chris Pine film. There's a couple Chris Pine films coming out soon that looked pretty interesting to me. I don't know. We're, we're going to figure that out. Yeah. And just so you know, it looks like our marathons are locked in as well. The Cageathon <laughs> is set to begin at the end of April. So excited. And where Terrence Malick is set to start in August. And then Werewolves will be running in uh, October. So that's our tentative marathon plans uh, for this year so far. We'll see how that all turns out. In the meantime, check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, YouTube. Do a search for the first to run. Scroll, scroll, scroll. Eventually you'll find us. Head on over to Apple Podcasts and give us a review. It'll help other people find the show. We are out of time, so unfortunately, our big guests will not be able to join us. Like Maybe we'll try and squeeze them in next week. You would not believe the names. Like big Hollywood A-listers, man. Unfortunately, we, we got we to gotta cut them. It's horrible. We got to bump them. Oh, well. In the meantime, everybody, we're going to go ahead and take an extended break. Uh, please go ahead and take care of yourselves. We love you very much. Thank you for being with us for 600 episodes. And we'll see you for 601. I shall leave you as you left me, as you left her. Marooned for all eternity in the center of a dead planet. Buried alive. Buried alive.